as it is with probably every church in America right now. They're wondering what their pastor is going to say. Uh, at a landmark ruling in our country just this few days ago, as we, if you've been watching any news, you saw that our Supreme Court has legalized um, gay marriage in our country in all 50 states. <clears throat> um, what is it that we are to do as Christians when things like that happen? Um, do we lash out? Do we argue more passionately? Do we spew hatred? Do we... What do we do? Here's what we do. We do what we've always done. We do what we've always done. We love people. And we share Jesus with them. Okay. And, and so, how do we do that? Are, are you saying, Pastor Don, you're saying that it's okay now that it's legal in America, in, in America that the Supreme Court said it's okay, that it's okay with God? No, that's not a, what I'm saying at all. There's many things that have happened in this country that have been going on for years and years and years that are legal in this country that are, are in direct opposition to God. And yet, here we are. Uh, it is one of those situations that, that is very visible. It's something that has been fought passionately from both sides. And so what do we do as Christians? Do we roll over and say, well, we've been defeated once again? Um, no, not necessarily. What we do is that we recognize that God is in control and God loves mankind. God loves those who are gay just like as there are probably some of you in this room that struggle with alcoholism and you get drunk quite a bit. You know who you are. And here's the thing. God loves you too. Do we condone alcoholism? Absolutely not. Do we love you? Of course we do. Will we throw a kegger here because it's legal? We can do it. And those of you who don't know what a kegger is, uh, well, that's probably a good thing, you know. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. Just because we can watch a, a, a very risque pornographic movie in here because it's legal doesn't mean I will ever allow that upon the screens in this place. Well, what will happen if someone wants you to marry them as a gay couple? I will not do it. I won't do it. What if the, you know, the, the government begins to force? Well, then there will probably cease to be a Calvary Chapel Christian Fellowship or I'll go to jail. I don't know. But just as I am not going to give an alcoholic more alcohol, I'm not going to qualify sin by supporting sin. But what I can do is I can love the people. I can love them with Jesus doesn't mean that I hate anyone because that's not in the character or the nature of Jesus, is it? Who did Jesus die upon the cross for? Everyone. 
and everyone. That's right. For God so loved who? The world. Who is the world? Us. You've had your pitfalls. You've had your, your failures. You've had your uh, indiscretions in your life. And if you're a Christian and that was your past, you are thanking God that he did not reject you and throw you away and not continue to pursue you like a hound of heaven to see you into his kingdom and bring you to a place where you bowed your knee to Jesus Christ. He loved you. And he loves those that are passionately seeking freedom from God. Because that's really what it comes down to. And I know that there are a lot that will try to take Scripture and manipulate Scripture in order to make it fit a lifestyle and say, well, even the government believes it. Well, as far as I read in Scripture, the government has never been the standard for which we accept or reject God. In fact, most oftentimes, what you see is the government begins to turn its back on God time after time. And after that, it, it's not too much longer after that. And it could be a generation, it could be five generations, but it's not too long after that 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 nation either ceases to exist or it goes into slavery or something happens. And, and you know, gang, we're playing with fire. As a nation, we're playing with fire as a, as a, a people. And as Christians today, what are we to do? We're to be praying for our leaders. How can I even possibly pray, you might say, uh, to, you know, uh, for the Supreme Court justices that have done such a thing? Or how can I pray for a president that seems so antagonistic against Christianity? Well, you do it because that's what God's called you to do. And if you take God's word literally, and that is this, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You are now property of, if you could kind of open up your skin and see that tag that's in there that says property of, it will say Jesus Christ if you are a Christian and it's no longer about you. It's not property of Don if it were me, or property of whatever your name is, you know, fill in your name in that, in that underline. Now, if, if that is, if you were to fictitiously look at that, that tag on your life that says property of, fill in the gap. Fill in the gap for yourself. Is it Jesus? If it's Jesus, well, then you do things for Christ. If it's your name, well, then you do things for you. If it's a movie star's name or a rock singer or some sort of a, a, a celebrity's name, well, then you do the things that they want you to do. If it's a sports team, fill it in and that's who you live for. If it's even the government of our United States of America, fill that in there and live for the government. But may I first warn you that any name that you fill into that gap other than Jesus Christ will leave you desperately wanting in the end. And you will find yourself outside of the gates of heaven if you're owned by anybody else other than Christ. And so the thing is, is we live for Jesus. And, and when the world does something even more against Christ or against what the Word of God says then what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to continue to do what it is that Christ has called us to do. The Great Commission has not been voided because of our Supreme Court. 
We are to go into all the nations, go into all the world, and we are to what? Preach the gospel. What is the gospel? It's what? Good news. Thank you, Ross. What's good news? Christ died for us. What's the bad news? What is the bad news? Anyone, what's the bad news? Hell? Expand on that a little bit. What is the bad news? Okay, that was a bad idea. <laughs> that just didn't work. Uh, one, one at a time. How, how about that? Nancy? If you don't accept Christ, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to go to hell, right? Um, who's going to go to hell? Those who don't have Christ. What, what is that? that? That means the world, right? The world, apart from Christ, is going to go to hell. Anyone who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ is going to go to hell. You and I are destined for hell. The Bible tells us for all have sinned. What is all? All means all. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? By the grace of God we are saved through Christ. By the grace of God we're saved through Christ. Right. And so here's the thing. If, if, if we are lost, every single one of us are lost and destined to hell. The wages of sin is death. I mean, if all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and then the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, and that is separation from God for all eternity. And then Paul puts that little addition in that, 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 that cap on that, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of life is eternal life through Christ Jesus, right? So apart from Christ, we're going to go to hell. Every person that you meet on the street, every one of your friends, every one of your coworkers, every one of your family members, every one that you know in your life or don't know in your life, every person that you pass by on the street, they, according to the word of God, are destined for hell. Every single one. That's the bad news. Every one of us are going to go there. Hands down, there's not one person that's good enough to go to heaven. It's bad news. Jesus says that's the bad news, okay? He doesn't say that's the bad news, but he, he says, go and tell them the good news. The bad news is inferred. It's understood. The bad news is that you're all going to hell, but there's a good news. And the good news is that Christ paid for your sin. You don't have to go there if you don't want to. There has been a price that has been paid for your soul for eternity, and it's Jesus Christ. You don't have to go to hell. What is hell? I don't know. Let's look at something here. Let's look at this. I, I, I like to look at this. I, you can turn in there if you want to. It's a Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to begin in verse 3, and I'm going to read the antithesis of heaven. I'm going to read to you what hell is, okay? By taking the absolute opposite of what is written here. 
I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is not with men. It's not here in hell. And he will not dwell with the people here in hell. They will not be his people. And God himself will not be with them and will not be their God. And God will not wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be more death. There will be constant separation. There will be sorrow. There will be continual crying. And there will always be pain. For there is no taking away the former things. Chapter 22. Look at verse 3 there. There will be more curse. There will not be a throne of God nor of the Lamb in it. And no servants will serve God in hell. They will not see his face and his name will not be on their foreheads. And there will be night there. They will need a lamp. They will need light. They will need sun because the Lord will not give them light. And they shall live there forever and ever. That's the bad news, gang. You look at heaven and God has paid away, paved a way for you and I to go there and to anybody who would receive Christ on the cross. And, and so here's the thing. When you and I accept Christ and his sacrifice for us, he did what you and I could not do. He lived a life that you and I couldn't live. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the law perfectly. Every jot, every tittle. Those are like all the little, the smallest, most minute punctuation marks of the law. Jesus not just filled the letter of the law, but he fulfilled even the little punctuation marks of the law. There's nothing of the law that Jesus did not fulfill. He did it because you and I couldn't do it. And so he hung on a cross for you and he, he put the penalty of your sins and my sins upon his shoulders and he cried out to his father, Father, why have you forsaken me? It's at that moment that God, at, at that moment, that God turned his back on his son. The dynamic of that moment was incredible. The first time in the history of mankind that God, upon a person upon, uh, upon the face of the earth, that God literally took his back and took his face and turned his face away. Sorry for my bald spot, but turned his face away from mankind. He turned his way, he turned his eyes away from his son. He turned his back on his son. I, 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 don't, I don't know how, that, how I could do that. I don't know if I could turn my back on my son. I couldn't do it. I couldn't, couldn't do that. It's not in my nature. It's not in my character. If, you're, if all of your lives were on the line, and so was his, and I could only save one of you guys, please don't put me in that spot. Because I love my son. How much more, God, looking down upon his son, he turned his back. It's the first time that mankind had ever experienced God turning his back on mankind. But God couldn't bear to see sin. 
In Christ, he paid for our sin. He paid for your sin. He paid for my sin. And then he was buried for three days. And when he rose again the third day, as he said he would many times, he rose again three days later. The depression that was upon the disciples and the, and the, 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 the followers of Christ at the time, it was, it was incredible. It was immense. It was intense. It was heavy. It was hard. It was something that they thought that they had seen the Messiah who would establish his reign upon the earth at that time, back in that day. Picture yourself and myself if he were alive today and we'd see that he would be coming against maybe even our kingdom, even our, our government and, and, and the governments of the world and, and ISIS and, and, and Iran and, and, and all of the, you know, our own government for goodness sakes and, and came against all the governments and, and we'd look and see in Jesus, wow, you can overthrow all the governments because the wind and the waves even obey you. Life and death obey you. There's sickness obeys you nothing 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 will disobey you whatever you say is and so here's the thing and we are the band of people who are a bunch of nothings just like they were a bunch of fishermen we're with you why you chose us and not the 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 wise of the world and 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 the the big politicians and the 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 huge you know celebrities why you didn't choose them to be your followers because you'd get a lot more pr that way god just by you know just to help you out there a little bit give you a little pr lord if you had bigger names more people would follow you but he didn't do that he chose the people like you and i to follow him there was a small band and, and, and so if you could picture that Jesus walking around and we being of that band and he was in this place and we were following him with our whole heart and then the government takes a hold of him and kills him, what would our heart be? Well, where would our hearts be at that time? Would we say, well, yeah, he said three days later he's going to rise again from the dead. No, man, if, we, if he's been executed, if he's been executed, we just, man, we are not used to seeing people come back from the dead, are we? No matter what anybody said. Jesus said, as a woman in labor forgets the pain of that labor. Mandy, please don't do that right now, okay? <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> I was surprised to see Mandy here today. She's about to have a baby. That's an awesome thing. Uh, so pray for her. Pray for her. <laughs> Jesus says, as a, as a woman in labor and the pain that she experienced in labor, is all, forgetting, or is all forgotten when she gives birth to that child because of the joy that she has when that child is placed into her arms. Jesus said, so will be your pain. You're going to feel like your heart is ripped out from you and everything that you ever knew was going to be turned upside down, disciples. But you know what? In just a few short days... You're going to forget all that pain because of the joy that you're going to see. You're going to see me once again. They couldn't fathom it. Could you? Could I? Could you and I really believe something like that? Could you and I really latch on and say, you know what? I totally believe that. I totally am behind that. That's why the disciples had a hard time understanding and really just allowing that to sink deep into their great craniums and say, man, hey guys, it's all right. He's going to come back in three days. No, they're hiding like, like sneaky little rats 
finding a corner from which not to find, you know, in the shadows and the recesses so that the soldiers wouldn't find him and, and do the same thing to them as they just did to their Savior, their Messiah, their King of the world, who's now laying in a tomb. And I thought that he was going to, I thought he was going to overthrow the government. I thought he was going to overthrow all the governments. Everything that I thought was a sham. Everything that I thought I didn't understand correctly and I bought into it. I feel like such a fool. How many of those disciples do you think felt like a fool? I lived for three and a half years following this guy and he's dead. I loved him, trusted him. But he was supposed to overthrow the kingdoms of the world and, and he let him put him on a cross and kill him and it doesn't make any sense and everything in my mind that I thought was going to happen has not happened he's dead and then three days later are they at the tomb waiting for him no they're not they're frightened shaking and in a locked room waiting to hear soldiers' footsteps come towards their door to apprehend them and do the same thing to to them as they just did to Christ. When all of a sudden Mary, who had gone to the tomb and seen Jesus, risen from the dead, Jesus says, go back and tell everyone in Peter, tell my disciples and Peter. Remember, he said Peter because Peter was the one who denied him. He says, go back and tell them. I'm alive. I want to see him. And so she runs back. No, before she actually had that, that instance, she ran back. She said, the tomb is empty. She knocked on the door, that locked door, and the disciples probably didn't open it right at first. Say the secret code word. McGillicuddy. Yeah, well, open up. And they open up the door, and there is Mary, and she goes... The tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled away. There's nobody in there. He's risen just like he said. And Peter, being the brash, very brash man that he was, say anything was on his mind. He said, what? No. And John, the apostle, the youngest of all of the disciples, Peter and John took off running. Because John had the, the privilege of writing the Gospel of John, he said, hey, I beat Peter to the tomb. That's usually what a young buck will say to somebody. Uh, he didn't beat me. I, uh, Peter might be a lot of things, but he's not faster than me. I beat him at the tomb, to the tomb, and there he goes. And he stops outside of the tomb because he's afraid to go in. But Peter wasn't afraid to go in. He just went right past John and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there the wrap that had wrapped his body, but his, the wrap that was around his head was folded in another place, which, by the way, any of you who are fascinated by the, the Shroud of Turin, uh, don't get too fascinated because it doesn't line up with Scripture. Well, that's Christ. No, it's not. It's not. I'm sorry to say that. How can you be so confident? Well, because the Bible clearly states that the, bo- that the linen that was around his body was still there in a shell, but the linen that covered his face was set apart from the linen covering his body and it was folded 
nicely and neatly in another portion of the tomb. And so when you see this body picture of Christ, we got a problem in the shot of Turin. That's not Christ. Probably was, maybe, it could very well possibly have been, you know, uh, uh, a disciple of Christ who had been crucified, but that's not Jesus. Don't bow down to those things. That's not any more holy than anything. Peter goes in there and he sees that he's not, he's not there. And he wonders, and John wonders. They don't understand. And Mary, she, she's slow to walk away, and, and she's crying. She's not understanding, and she sees the gar- what she's, who she's supposed to be, the gardener. You know, where have you taken him? Please, just let me know. I'll go and take him from you. I'll take him off your hands, please. Just let me have my Savior, who's dead. Everything that they knew was turned upside down until Jesus showed himself there in the upper room, the locked upper room. Where'd they go? They went right back to that upper room where they were and locked the door because they were sorely frightened and afraid of being arrested and being crucified themselves. And there Jesus found himself on the other side of the room with no doors, no windows. He just shows up. He says, hey guys, it's me. Peace be with you. I don't know how much peace would be in that room. I think some knees were knocking about that time. I think if they had any underwear, they probably needed to be changed about that time because they had gotten probably pretty afraid. But there he was, standing there, alive. And they showed him his, he showed him his wounds. Surely it's him. Hey, he says, hey, I haven't eaten for three days. You guys got anything to eat? <laughs> and he eats with them. It's, it just blows your mind. Wait a minute. What once was very, very depressing has turned into joy because, and, and, and I don't even know about joy right now because I think that they're just, they don't know what to say. They're speechless. You and I would be speechless, wouldn't we? But that speechlessness, speechlessness turned into joy and turned into passion and turned into a life well lived by each one of those disciples because they saw the risen Christ. What they thought was a no-hope situation turned into an all-hope situation, and they were given their marching orders. Go into all the world, and you tell them, I died for people, and I rose again so that they can have life. And that right there is a great commission, and we, it's been passed down to us. That commission has been placed upon yours and my shoulders. And so the Supreme Court can't negate that Christ is risen from the dead. I don't care what this government does. I don't care what anything in the world does. I don't care about how much Islam begins to overtake nation after nation after nation. The one thing that will remain true and the one thing that will always remain with a firm foundation is that Christ is on the throne. God is on the throne. And there is nothing that can, can stop that and thwart that. We serve an awesome God. Has God lost control a little bit? No, not at all. Is he still in control? Yes. Well, what do we do now? Well, we just carry on with the Great Commission. Because it's not about the United States of America, gang. That's a hard thing for us, isn't it? I 
born in a day and a generation where when I grew up and some of you grew up in that same generation that I did, some of you younger kids are not necessarily growing up with the same patriotism that I grew up with. We grew up with singing, my country tis of thee. My, when I grew up, we, we said the Pledge of Allegiance every day at school. And we actually included the words, under God. And, and we had prayer before schools. As we stood around a flagpole. And we vowed our devotion to our country, and to our leaders. Was it perfect in Washington? No, it wasn't. But there was a patriotism that gripped the nation. And there was something that happened to a lot of you in my age, or around my age, when someone like a Lee uh, Greenwood came out with a song, and I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. And do you remember hearing that the first time? Tears came down my face. I am proud to be an American. I'm not going to forget the ones who died to, to make that something for me. You know, make that. Here's the thing. Thank you. Here's the thing. As a patriot, I love patriotism. I loved my nation. But it's when I understood that my nation was willing to listen to God. But it's not about my nation. That doesn't make me anti-patriot. and ain't anti-patriot. That just makes me a patriot of the kingdom of God. If, the, if our kingdom turns its back on God, will I do the same? I wanted to take an extended time to do this today because here's the thing. Guys, we're living in a day and an age where it's going to be increasingly more difficult for us to live as Christians and to live according to the literal word of God because man has gotten his hands in this and is twisting scripture everywhere to a point where it is confusing not just us, but it's confusing our kids. If there ever was a time for us to know the word of God ourselves and not have to rely upon me or another pastor or some other religious leader you know, to actually tell me what the truth is, hey, get in yourself. Get into the word of God yourself because you know what? I didn't die for you. Another pastor or religious leader didn't die for you. Christ died for you and he gave you 66 books, 66 love letters. Don't look at them as an academic book don't look at them as anything other than God's love letter to you to tell you and to demonstrate this is to what extent I will go to secure your eternal salvation because I love you with a passion that you have absolutely no idea how deeply I can love and I love you that much and more you think you know love here in just a few days Jeremy and Mandy are going to have a baby. And that baby, Camden, is going to come out. And they're going to look at that baby and they're going to go, I don't know that I can love anything more than I'm... I love this child right now. I don't know. My heart... If, if, if one more ounce of love goes in, I think I'm going to just explode. Have you ever had that kind of love for anything in your life? Maybe it was a relationship. 
Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a best friend. But you had that, that amount of love and it filled up so much in your heart. You're going, I don't know if I took even a little bit more love. I think I'd explode because I don't know I can love any more than I love right now. I would do anything to maintain this love. I would do anything for this one, this object of my love. You have just experienced a drop in the bucket of how much love God has for you. His is multiplied infinitely more than you and I can ever muster upon the face of this earth. That's how much love God has for you and for me and for anyone that's living upon the face of this planet right now. That does not mean that we as Christians, we come out and we begin to pick it and we start to argue and we begin to beat down on people who don't see it our way. What we do is that we love people. I don't see Jesus ever beating up on people. I don't see people arguing with people who are living in the world. Who did Jesus argue with? He argued with the religious rulers, didn't he? The point is, gang, we have been bought with a price. And God desperately, desperately, desperately loves you and he's not lost control. He just knows that this world... is turning its back on him. Does it make it hard? Any of you have ever lost a child because the child has not not necessarily lost them to death, maybe to death, I don't know. But you've lost a child to the waywardness of the world. You know how deeply it breaks your heart. You want so much for that child to hear you and to listen to you and, and it breaks your heart because the child is just not listening to you anymore. And so here's the thing they walk away and your heart is broken and you just wish you could make them believe but you can't you wish that you could make them see the right way and the path that they're going down is a destructive path and you wish that you could change them but you can't and the point is is the same thing with God for us he's never going to force you to follow him he's never going to force you to be his kid he loves you he loves me but he's given us a choice. And that's one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given to you and I, a choice to either follow him or reject him. How can that be a good choice, Pastor Don? That doesn't make sense. You know, he gave us the ability to choose not to follow him. Let me me pull something up here just for a second. I wasn't intending to read this, but I'm going to read it right now. I saw this the other day. It's quite interesting. If I can find it. Maybe I don't have it anymore. I've been so computer destroyed the last two weeks. It's it's pitiful. Well, basically, I don't have it in here. I had to get a different phone and it erased my, my picture. But here's what it was. If I were God... And it was a poem. If I were God, I would not let this happen. I would not let people be mean to each other. I would not let people reject me. I would not let people do this. I wouldn't let people do that. I wouldn't let people, you know, have any bitterness toward... I just... I'd, I'd, I would make them do the right thing. I thought, you know what? I'm glad you're not God. Because what you would have created was a robot. <laughs> 
What good is love if that's all you have to do? If my wife must, because it's the law, you have to say, I love you when I walk in the door. You have to make me my favorite dinner every night because that's what love does. You have to do that. What kind of love is that? No, that's compulsion. You have to do it. You, 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 you have no choice in the matter. My son, when I used to get done teaching, I'm kind of glad it doesn't happen anymore. On one hand, you'll understand here in a second. Uh, on another hand, I would love it. And he'll probably do it someday just to joke around. But here's the thing. My son, back when he was a little tight, after I get done teaching, and he came out of Sunday school, he'd come and no matter who I was talking to, you might have been one of them, he'd, be, he'd, be, he'd see me from about halfway down the aisle and he'd start running towards me and he'd take off about where this front row is and just jump and I'd catch him. And, and I'd hold him and I'd pick him up and I'd give him a hug. And that's all he wanted. He just wanted a hug. And, and as soon as I gave him a hug, I'd put him back down and boom, he off he went. And it was like virtually every Sunday. It wasn't every single Sunday, but it was vast majority of Sundays. Again, I'm kind of glad he doesn't do that today. <laughs> On one hand, he would tackle me today. On the other hand, I miss that. But can I tell you something? I never told my son he had to do that. I never told Nathan. Now listen, when Sunday school is over, when you're done with children's church, if you don't do this, there's going to be a punishment. You have to do this. You need to run down after service is over and you have to come to me first. Before you visit your friends, you've got to come to me first and you must run with a smile on your face and a sparkle in your eye and you need to launch yourself from the first row and into my arms and I'll catch you. And you've you got to hug me with everything that's in you. You have to do that or else there's going to be a punishment. How much love is behind that if it's out of compulsion, out of the fear of punishment? He would never, I mean, it, 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 I, would I be, feel good about it? No. Not any better than if I were to go down to the nearest Toys R Us and pick up a little Raggedy Ann doll and, and pull the little white nylon string on the back and, and, and let that nylon, you know, or that, that doll say, I love you. I love you. I love you. You are special. I need to hear you say it again. I love you. I love you. I love you. You're special. I can go on for the rest of the day because you know what? That just warmed me to my soul. Thank you, Raggedy Ann. I am so blessed that you are my doll. And we're laughing because that's preposterous. It's just silly. We'd never do that. But when my son would do that, what do you think it did to my heart? You might have been bearing your soul to me. You might have had a bad week. You might have been having a disastrous time in life and you were pouring out your soul to me. But I have to tell you, if I would not turn and catch my son, he'd hurt himself. <laughs> and frankly, let me tell you, I always enjoyed it. 
I never meant to slight anybody, but my son, he threw himself in my arms and I was going to catch him. And I was going to hug him with a true hug and a true love that comes deep down inside that I have no idea where it comes from. And I would be so proud. And I would love and I would just, ah, I can't believe that this is my son. And I'd put him down. Sometimes he would say something. Uh, most of the times he wouldn't. He'd just take off running again. Do you know what? That filled my soul with contentment. He didn't have to do that. It was an act of his will. He chose himself to come up and do that. I didn't make him do that. That's what made it so special. If I'm God, I would make people not be angry with one another. I'd make people follow me the way that they should in love and in harmony and all that. Well, then what you would do is you're creating robots. And I'm glad you're not God. Our God has given you and I a choice. Know this. You can do the same thing to God. Do you know that you launch yourself from the first row into God's arms when you're by yourself and just for no reason at all, not because you're in a panic, not because you're getting pulled over. Lord, I promise if you get me out of this, I will never, ever, 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 ever speed again and I will tithe more. Then the guy, cop gives you a big ticket. <sighs> Great, thanks God. It, not coming to God that way. But just when you're on your own, you're just cruising along and all of a sudden maybe you see a sunset, maybe you see a tree, maybe you see something that looks really cool and you go, you know God, that's an awesome looking picture you just painted. Go down to Siesta Key at night as the sun is setting and you go out there and you look at that beautiful beach and you look at that beautiful sunset. And you sit there and you go, there's a cloud pattern out there and that is the only cloud pattern ever that will ever look exactly like that. Never again will that exact painting be painted in the sky. And God, that is beautiful. You design clouds. You design the sun. You design the sea. You design the air. You design the atmosphere. You designed all of the materials to put this scene together. And right now, I am almost speechless at how beautiful this is. God, that is awesome. I'll bet that was fun to do. You see what you just did there? Just launched yourself from the first row into the arms of the Lord. Just saying, God, thanks. You're awesome. That is beautiful. Thank you, Lord. And it might not just be that. It could be anything. Whatever. We can launch ourselves into the arms of the Lord. When we live for him, when we honor him because we're his. We do what he wants us to do. We do what would please him. And I know we can't do that perfectly. But the point is, we do for him on a consistent basis that it would be our character, would be our nature to honor God in the way that we live our lives. When someone doesn't follow what it is that we're doing, that's okay. Our following God is not 
determined upon how other people live. Our following God is determined upon our personal relationship with God and our acknowledgement and our thankfulness to God because of what he's done for us. And when we do that, and when we have that personal relationship with God, when we see that fictitious you know, label on our body that says, property of Jesus Christ, it, it has a name there. It used to be property of Don. And you scratched it out and you've penned in Jesus. Might have been a rock star or a celebrity. You had that in there. Scratched out, you put in Jesus. Might have been a football team or a basketball team or even a hockey team. Scratched out, there his name is Jesus. You put Jesus' name in there, property of Jesus. All of a sudden, you did that. That's a personal relationship between you and God. And the things that you do for God is between you and he. And you love him and you do what it is that he has called you to do. No longer your own life, but now you're living a life with purpose. You're living a life of value. You're living a life of vision. You're living a life that will count. Because everything that we gather for ourselves here on the earth, the Bible calls wood, hay, and stubble. The things that we do for the Lord are like gold silver and precious gems and stones. You put fire to both of those and it refines one, but it completely and totally consumes the other. The things that you do for self are just going to be consumed. There's no value in it. But the things you do for the Lord, they will remain. And, and, and it's a personal relationship. That's the personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so why all of this, Pastor Don? Why, why talk about this? Well, because we're living in a day and an age where it's going to be harder and harder and harder for you and for me to live for the Lord. Because your mind, my mind, we're going to be lambasted on TV. We're going to be lambasted in movies. We're going to be lambasted in popular music. We're going to be lambasted by our friends you're going to be lambasted by teachers and professors that will do everything to, they can do to try to get you to scratch Jesus off on that fill-in-the-blank and put something else in there. They're going to be there to try to get you to turn your back on God. It's what Satan has done from the very beginning. You and I are just, the heat is being turned up in our kitchen a bit. And the point is, are you going to be tried and true at the end? The only way for you to really know whether or not you're going to walk strong and stay strong is if you know the strong word that's sitting in right in front of you. You and I must be students of the word. And I know when I say that, that elicits maybe a negative connotation to some of you guys because you go, I don't like to study. Never did. I'm out of high school, out of college, whatever. I don't want to study anymore. Open your Bible and read it and ask God to reveal himself to you. Because you are going to be confronted in this world. You're reading books every single day. You're reading this. The books you read, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, your popular sites that you go on, guess what's 
fashioning and framing your mind, your morals, your understanding of what life is all about. This. Well, I don't read it that much. (laughs) Really? Come on. Come on. Really? Well, I might read 30 minutes in here. Okay, let me ask you this. How much time do you put into this? It's just not fun. It's life. Death. Life. It's going to teach you. This is going to ground you. This is going to show you God's way. Not to say that you can't find that here because there's a lot of great programs that are out there, Bible programs and, and, and neat, you know, different things. Blue Letter Bible, I love Blue Letter Bible. If you're not one of those subscribers, it's not even a sub- subscription, it's just an app. Get on it, it's fun. It's a great thing, great tool. Here's the thing, we've got to know the word. We've got to know less of this. We've got to know the word because we, we've got to be ready to combat the world when the world comes down on us. Because right now, there's a lot of churches that are very, very confused. There's a lot of churches right now where pastors are standing up, and I use that term, extremely, extremely loose. Pastors are getting up and saying, well, we had a ruling, and we have culturally understood that the word of God has now spoken that it is okay. to have legalized same-sex marriages and God is good with it, we will, we have finally overcome. And being spoken from a pulpit is repulsive. It's repulsive. Because the Bible doesn't say that that is okay. And I know that I can be Labeled as man, why are you and you know a, a, a homophobe? Do you do you not like homosexuals? Absolutely, that is just so the furthest from the truth. I love them just like I love an alcoholic. They just need to see Christ. They need to see the Lord. We need to see the Lord. We need to be convinced in our heart that God is who He is that Jesus is who he said he was and who he is in our lives. And as we live that life, we will be, as Jesus says, a light into the, unto the world. We don't harbor our light under the chair, under a desk, under a bushel, hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. So let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. What do we do at every Christmas Eve? We have a, Christmas Eve candlelight service, we sing happy birthday to Jesus. But one of the things that I, I, I oftentimes do, I don't think I did it this last year, but I do every once in a while, is it's dark. It's usually at night, so it's all dark. Make it as dark as possible. We talk about the light of the world, Jesus being the light of the world. And as he imparted his light, he imparted his life into our lives. We live in a world of darkness. And Jesus says, you, as a Christian, 
are the light unto the world. Let me read it to you. He says it right here. He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so what we do is we light one light. I've been in in a cave. Some of you guys have been in caves too that are way down inside the earth. And when you get into the earth and you get well beyond any light, source and you have just your flashlights Uh, typically whoever guides you down there if you're just down there by yourself and with some friends which i did up in flagstaff arizona we had this big lava tube that went way 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 back into the ground it was crazy we get down there we'd have our flashlights on we get way back in. it went like a mile back in or half a mile back in you know way back into the mountain we'd go in there it was just dark we'd turn off the light and it was just You put your hand this close to your face and you can't see it. That's the world we're living in right now. We're living in a land, we're living in a world of utter and complete and total darkness. And Jesus says, guess what? The only way for people to find their way is if the lights are shining. Darkness can't lead darkness. But light can lead darkness. Lead people out of darkness. What happens to light? What happens to darkness when light comes in? Darkness must flee. When Christ is inserted, Satan must flee. The point is, here's the thing. As I do this on Christmas Eve, I light one lamp, one candle, and I sit here and I hold it. I say, where are all of our eyes attentioned on? Not just because I'm talking, but if I were to have Ross back here hold up a candle and I light a candle and Ross is holding up the candle and we're sitting here in utter darkness even though I might be speaking you would not be looking at me because you couldn't see me if we were in that tunnel darkness complete and total utter darkness you wouldn't be looking at me you'd be looking at the light and if Ross began to wheel himself around this room you'd be following that light that's who we are as Christians guys we're the lights of the world And if we can live our lives above reproach, we live our lives in accordance to what the Word of God says to bring a smile on Christ's face as we live for Christ, letting our light so shine before men that they would in turn not glorify us. Jesus says the the response is that if you're living your life for me, they're not going to glorify you. They're going to glorify my Father which is in heaven. Because if you're living your life for me, you're deflecting any praise towards yourself and you're like a giant mirror that is just shining the glory back up to the Lord. And here's the thing, as we walk around with one light, people will want to know the way out. And when one light goes and and, and Ross gives his light to me and he stays over there and I'm over here, all of a sudden we have two lights and now it's a little bit more illuminated into the room and then I go over and I give it to Dana and Dana holds her light up and I'm up here and then we start passing the light around the room pretty soon. The light in this room is bright enough to see and the darkness has evacuated to where we all have light and we're all able to see the direction to go. That is the light that Christ has called for us to live in this world. The light that we can live by to know the steps that we have before us. 
David, he writes, he says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. That's the light, gang. As we open up the word of God and allow it to illuminate the steps that we're to be taking, guess what? We're going to be living for Christ and people will follow. And we'll be leading people out of darkness. So what do we do with this landmark ruling? Nothing different than what we were always called to do, to live for Christ. Go into the world and preach the gospel. Tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. What if they don't want to hear? Move on. Here's the cool thing about being a Christian. I've never been called to convert anyone. And if you think, well, I can't get them converted, that's not your job. Your job is simply to tell people. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. I'm not here to make you believe. I'm here to just tell you what it is that I know what the Word of God says. And so here's the thing. As you do that, as I do that, guess what? The Holy Spirit begins to do the work in the person's heart, and they're the ones that end up coming to the Lord because God did the work in their heart. I don't have to change anybody. I just have to go and tell people, that's my job, that's your job, that's our job, and that's what we're going to continue to do as Christians, regardless of what the Supreme Court of the United States of America says. Amen? Father, thank you so much for today. And I know I took an, I take an extended time talking about this, but Lord, we've not lost a fight. The heat has been turned up a bit. But Lord, this battle continues to wage on. And Lord, it's not a, a fight unless <laughs> there's a formidable foe. This formidable foe is seeking out after the lives of many of our loved ones the vast mass of this world the enemy is wanting to destroy. Jesus, you said it best, that the thief has come to steal, kill, and to destroy. It's exactly what's happening right now. But Lord, help us to go out there with the light that you have given to us in our hearts, in our lives. Because Lord, you have given us the illumination that you are the way, the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through you. That you paid the, pa- the, the sacrifice, you paid the penalty for every man, woman, and child's sin in order that if they were to acknowledge you and follow you, God, you'd love them and you want to give them life. You want to give them heaven. You want to rip them from the clutches of hell and Lord, you just want us to go out and tell them that it, there's a way. And so Lord, help us to leave this place today, letting our light so shine before men that they would see what it is that we're doing, hear what it is that we're saying, and glorify you, which is in heaven. And Lord, then take us on to the next person and the next person and the next person. But Lord, make us solid in this room. Give us the passion to seek your word. Wherever there is an area in our life where we're weak in seeking you and your word, God, give us a desire and a passion to open up your word so that we know your plans, we'd know your heart, we'd know your design, we'd know what you, how your heart beats. We know what words that you would use. We know what, what vision you would look through. We know what accepting arms you would reach out with. Without, 
validating sin and not without, you know, without uh, uh, confirming that, hey, yeah, go ahead and live that way. God loves you anyways. And just continue to live in any old way you want because God will love everyone no matter what and he'll take you to heaven anyways. Lord, that's what the enemy wants us to believe. Your word clearly states that a life that is for you is going to be characterized by living for you and doing what it is that you've called us to do. Repentance means a 180 degree turn from the life that I was living to the life that God wants for me. That's repentance. Confession is calling sin what you call sin, God. Acknowledging that what you say is wrong, I am now acknowledging in my life that that is wrong. But Lord, to do that in love, God, we have a hard task in front of us. Help us to not go out of here militantly, but help us to go out of here with a love and a passion that wants to see people in heaven with you. Help us not to look upon a, a, an alcoholic, an adulterer, or a homosexual as, as anything other than somebody that needs you desperately. You've called us to reach the, everyone. I don't care what sin anyone is, is involved in. Lord, you've been calling us. You have called us and you always will call us to reach people. And let our light shine so that they can see you. It's hard to let our light shine when we come and we begin to berate them, beat them down, ridicule them and, 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 and riddle them with scripture after scripture of scri- after scripture of how evil they are. Because Lord, they're not evil. They're just misled. Like I was. In the sin that I was involved in. No, it might not have been homosexuality, but I was in ugly sin myself. And God, you reached out and touched my life. If you can do that in my life, you can do it to anybody's life. And so God, as you've touched my life, may you reach people for you, like me, like people that are different than me, that struggle in other sins. Lord, we just ask that you reach people for you and for your glory. We want to see heaven and we want to be there and we want to do our part do our job. We want to fulfill the great commission that you've called us to until that day. May we make you proud. May we rightly represent you today and tomorrow and always in the way that you would have us handle these situations that are confronting us face on in our nation and in our world today. When they look upon us and hear our words and see our actions, may God, may Oh, Lord, the world see you in us. In Jesus' name, amen.